Straight white males only make up 4% of the global population, right? So how is this possible that in the US, $86 trillion of our invested capital gets invested by one group, right? And so like, that's 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 what I'm, I'm sort of fighting against in a way that like not is, it, it's not only about like the, <laughs> the George Floyds and the Freddie Grays of, of, of our society and our, our this time, but it's also about the, the the money we're leaving on the table, right? That that you know if we did it better, right? Like think about all the the forty percent of the pension assets in the state of Maryland are held by you know basically poor middle income black people, right? And so wouldn't they want a better return if you could bring them great companies that mm. reflected opportunity, right? Like we're leaving money on the table and you're almost like breaching your fiduciary obligation by not looking at a broader swath of the population to either manage that money or to invest in those in those in those companies right and so um i think this is just as much about you know economic returns as it is about economic justice welcome to the pathfinders the modern dealmaker series brought to you by ansarada now, here's your host, Dahani Jones. Welcome back, everybody, to the Pathfinders, presented by Ansarada. I'm your host, former NFL player, investor, and entrepreneur, Dahani Jones. Building a company from the ground up can be one of the most challenging things you can ever do. But it can all be worth it if you time your exit right. So how do you know when it's the right time to leave the party? Today's guest can probably give us some advice. He's done it a couple times. Luke Cooper is the founding general partner and managing director at Latimer Ventures, an enterprise-focused VC firm dedicated to helping Black and Hispanic founders build and then exit. Before he started Latimer, Luke founded two enterprise software companies, and both were acquired by Fortune 300 members. I'm very excited to talk to Luke about how he nurtures early-stage companies, deciding the best time to leave the party, so to speak, and of course, the art of deal-making. Welcome, Luke. What's going on, my friend? What's going on? My guy. Good to hear from you. Good to see you. <laughs> we really should be doing this in person, but, you know, technology allows us that flexibility. But I always love spending time and talking to you because, you know, your energy is just like always at the top. And I wonder, where's the genesis of your energy come from? I mean, you know, obviously you can talk about the investing, <laughs> you can talk about a lot of things, yeah. but like, I want to know where that vibe originates from and what gets you excited Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to spend this time with you. I think you know a few things about me, but I'll elaborate quite a bit on some things because I think it helps to illuminate some of the responses and the ways that I would answer that question. And like, there's no mystery about how I grew up. I talk about that fairly often, growing up in abject poverty with a father in prison, living in the projects. And, and like coming out of those circumstances, you got to run real fast. Like to mm. get escape velocity from a place like Bridgeport, Connecticut, or Baltimore, Maryland, like your energy, your exuberance for life, for the right intellectual pursuits has to be at a 10 all the time, right? And that's the only way you get out of those places. And so I think part of it is my personality, for sure. I got it partly from my mom, you know, who was a very brave, courageous soul. And we'll get into some of the things that she imparted on me that helped me understand like how to not only get the right timing on things that mm. were important to me, but how to bend time, right? When you don't have the resources, you don't have the necessarily the networks, but the right conversation at the right time sometimes can help you accelerate the achievement of a certain goal that you might have, right? And so I look forward to talking about a lot of that, but a lot of this, you know, is my personality and also, you know, it's just how I grew up. Man, 
bending time. You know, you might be the only person that talks to me about investing and bending time and living and bending time. And I'm the right person to talk to about it because I love that, right? Because there are always these circumstances that we feel as though might hold us back. But if we have some sort of like mental construct in our brain that allows us to almost accelerate time, and this is just my personal definition of like bending time, like I said, I'm the person to talk to about it because I love this subject matter. But like, how do you personally bend time? How do you move three steps ahead when someone actually might want to take you two steps back or someone distracts you and they move you to the side? How do you always sort of leapfrog yourself ahead and then always sort of just end up in front of the game? Great question, Dahani. And I'd, I'd love to give the background in a sort of consecutive manner at some point. But the way I do it really is antithetical when you think about it, right? Most people wouldn't answer that question this way. But the reality is in order to do that, sometimes you just, you do less, you slow down, mm. right? It's, it's antithetical, right? Like you think that, oh, if I want to bend time, I want to go faster. I want things to happen faster. I got to move faster. But sometimes just slowing down. If you study quantum mechanics, you know, you understand that some action over here has some other correlation to some other action, you know, that's opposite and different on a completely different side of the world, universe, you know, whatever the thing is that you're looking at. And those same, you know, sort of, you know, quantum laws, they apply to everyday life, you know, as well. And so I've had to just slow down sometimes to get a faster acceleration, right? Like I, I spent three days in a hotel room, you know, just nurturing relationships, making the right phone calls, literally slowing down to give me access to the right meeting that led to the acquisition in 2020. And that slowdown actually, you know, helped me accelerate the conversations at a much faster clip. And we actually went under letter of intent to get the company acquired, you know, maybe five or six days before COVID. That timing absolutely was engineered. And part of the engineering was just by slowing down, understanding, you know, look, if you're playing chess, right, the worst thing you can do is like move really quickly. Mm. You know, if, you, if you're just learning the game, you know, sometimes just slowing down, thinking about what moves you want to make, but then also thinking about what moves your opponent is making, right? Thinking about like who your opponent is and how they got to that table, right? Just like those deliberate actions of like being mindful about these sparse details will sometimes, you know, bring you to the right set of conclusions that helps you speed up. And I've got so many examples of that. Excited to share them with you today. And I want you to talk about those enterprise companies that you exited and how you slowed time down. But first, I want you to define to everybody, because I don't know if anybody's going <laughs> to, you know, no one on Pathfinders has ever talked about quantum, right? <laughs> I'm so, shocked. I'm you shocked. Know, all right. So this is a different type of subject matter that I am not necessarily equipped to sort of process. <laughs> and, you know, I just want to make sure if, if I'm learning that other people are learning too. So just give us a little bit of understanding of what you mean by quantum. Like you're bringing science into the art of investing. We are. Well, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily bringing science into the art of investing, but I'm, I'm using, you know, sort of my understanding of the physical universe as a proxy for how people behave, mm. right? To draw the same sort of features that I see happening in the physical universe, right? And so quantum theory really is this like, you know, complex set of computations that helps you understand the relationship between things, right? It's, all, it's the foundation of modern computing, right? Um, you know, code doesn't happen without, you know, the internet doesn't happen without quantum, right? Um, quantum theory, right? And 
And, and the idea is that, you know, as simply as I can state it, you know, on one side of the universe, if a thing happens, there is, you know, some relationship to another thing on some other part of the universe, you know, as, a, as that thing happens, right? So it's how, you know, how, how these things move. And, and so when I, when I think about, you know, the actions or steps that I want to take to drive an outcome, you know, mm. I'm, I'm constantly thinking about them in those terms. Like when I do this thing or when I begin to do this thing, what else is going to change, shift or evolve, right? Think about d- dark matter, right? Another example is like, you know, dark matter, you know, there's more dark matter in the universe than there is, you know, um, regular matter, right? And w- where scientists are like really sort of thinking and spending a lot of time thinking is like, what are the things that are going to unlock that dark matter? Like a, you know, when you think about applying heat to a, uh, you know, a bottle of, of water that's, that's frozen, right? Mm. Over time, you just see it slowly just like, you know, uh, melting, right? Inside the bottle and the bottle changes shape, right? As a result of, you know, the, the, the compression changing, right? And so all of those things are the things I, I, I kind of think about the, the, the mental model that I use when I think about the actions that we're taking, you know, whether we're investing in a company, building the, the idea to go build this fund and this firm the way we have, um, my last two startups, all of those things I put into that context. You know, I'm, I'm just very fortunate, you know, to, to have, you know, um, come up in a way that like forced me to slow down and think about things that way. Mm-hmm. Cause the reality is like growing up poor, like you have nothing but time, right? Poor people mm. have so much time on their hands, right? Because like you, you, you're, you don't have resources, connectivity, networks, et cetera. You have no money to do like, you know, fun, engaging things that like your friends or, you know, other people might be doing. So you're spending that time thinking about yourself, self-improvement. How do you, you know, sort of matter in this world, right? Like who are you in relationship to the universe, right? So those are all things that I spent a lot of time thinking about as a young kid, because I felt so disconnected, you know, I felt so um, out of place and out of touch in the environments that I was moving. You know, I, I was, you know, I'm from Bridgeport, Connecticut. I grew up in, you know, Pequannock's housing projects, you know, one of the oldest, you know, and worst housing projects um, on the East Coast. And, um, but I went to private school. I played basketball. I was no NFL athlete like you, right? But, you know, I played basketball a decent level, um, got a scholarship and was lucky enough to, play for a great coach who, you know, gave me some more lessons. Coach Clifford now mm. is the um, head coach at the uh, Charlotte Hornets. And, um, you know, but I was fortunate to build some great relationships there that led me to law school at 24. Um, and, you know, the first thing I did as a lawyer, a young lawyer, was to argue for my father's release. You know, I'd, I'd hidden the fact that he was in prison through high school, college, and law school. People didn't know that about me. I would lie and say, oh, my father's an eye doctor. Because while he was in jail, he was like, he was learning that trade hmm. and he got a, he got a certificate. Right. And so I would tell people, oh, my father's an eye doctor, you know, and, and, um, it was a, a blatant lie, right. Because I was just embarrassed by my past again, you know, putting it in the context of quantum physics, you know, I, I, I was avoiding, right. The, 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 you know, the, the, the realities of, you know, of, of how, you know, sort of one thing that happened to me, my father going away to prison when I was 12, you know, was affecting my life, right? I was trying to like, you know, limit, reduce, you know, um, you know, um, constrain essentially the surface area of impact that that was going to have on my life, right? And so my way around that was just to not tell the truth, right? But, but later I learned that that's not the best approach, right? And when I embraced it fully, right, I was a 24-year-old man and I was able to do these incredible things embracing that reality that, you know, my life, you know, was meant to, to, you know, to, um, to do these hard things. 
And I argue for his release. He got out of prison. He did 12 of a 20 year bid. It was his third strike. You know, three strike laws are, you know, notoriously under attack and, and rightfully so, and disproportionately affect black men. Um, and you know, I was happy that I was able to get that outcome for my father. Um, yeah, ha- happy to you know tell you more about my journey after that. But let me pause there. That was uh, that was heavy, and thank you <laughs> for sharing that. And and I'm thinking about the quantum theory as it relates to your decision to not tell people till later. I kind of put that into the same bucket of just slowing down time in order to be able to process what's actually occurring, which gave you sort of the 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 confidence to to you know argue for his release at a moment when you were prepared right that's right and you know when i when i think about all of the worlds of which we exist sometimes we are moving so quickly we don't actually see uh you know the things that are are going you know that are happening and 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 maybe we should slow down a little bit more to sort of understand and process you know the opportunities that we have in front of us and as you sat as as a child and and the, the projects and thought about and contemplated your life and then playing basketball and at the private school and then going on um to do great things um you know you, you get to this point where you you have these you know these success um these successes um these two enterprise software companies you know both exited you know successfully to fortune 300 um, you know, acquires, and I mentioned at the introduction, uh, it's about timing. Um, so tell us a little bit about the story of those companies, how they came to be, and then a little bit more in depth about the moment in in the room where you got everybody at the table and you know, um, you know, put the ball on the court and let them let them take it. Yeah, if I if I if I we could spend this whole show talking about the hundreds of stories that make up those stories, right? Because like you know, obviously every scenario, you know, the, the foundation of it begins with some story and some thing that happened, but then there's a bunch of interlocking characters and cast members that make up those stories, and so I mm. won't spend time talking about all of it. But I'll, I'll say two things really quickly. You know, you talked about my success somewhat, right? And like, yeah, I, I did achieve some material success as a result of those two exits, but I was already successful and I didn't, I didn't know that. Right. I didn't, I didn't see myself as successful until like these material things happen, but mm. success is really founded on like your ability to consistently achieve a level of happiness. And oh, I, you I know, love that. I was, that's it. That's all it is. Right. And so I, I, I was already successful and I am successful regardless of the ups and downs of the market, ups and downs of companies and how they now play out. But it took a lot of energy. We're talking about quantum physics in the beginning of this conversation. <laughs> the, you know, this a, it's the conversation of energy, mass, and and atoms, right? And subatomic particles, right? It took a lot of like you know energy, right, for me to to be successful there. You know, and I'll, I'll just summarize this way. So so I started my career as a M and A attorney. I worked at a bunch of law firms, um, big big law firms, um, and then I went in house counsel at State Farm. And I, you know, I was still young in my career, and I just knew that law wasn't going to be like the right place for me, not the right fit. I had all this creative energy, mm. right, and all these ways that I wanted to affect the world that I knew I could affect the world, right? Problems that were obvious to me, right, that only I could solve, right. 
And, um, and so I, I took a chance, you know, with two, uh, two, two friends who were building a cybersecurity startup. And, you know, we had a very, very successful outcome over the course of four years. We built the company up and sold it in a two-part transaction, um, first to Paradigm Holdings, and then the whole thing we sold to Khaki, CICI. Mm. Um, you know, we were building, you know, essentially these intrusion detection systems that would, you know, detect when a person was in your system and either quarantine or tell you about it, right? This is 2007, 2008, you know, well before, you know, sort of these kinds of things were in mass, you know, um, utilization. Um, and so Khaki saw that we had a lot of value because of the contracts that we had picked up, you know, we were steady building the whole time and I was learning, I didn't know much. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I talked to founders, one of the things that key things I look for is curiosity, right. And, and the ability to like rapidly learn. Cause like, that is the, the biggest determinant of your success mm -hmm. as a founder is like, how quickly can you learn and apply those learnings to the thing that you're working on? And so we were doing that, you know, over and over and over again in that journey, um, you know, I was the third co-founder of that company. I made my first, like, you know, close to a million dollars. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like, I, I, this is how this works. You know, I had no idea. Right. And so that was a, a, a great outcome. O of course, you know, every great outcome has, you know, some other you know impact on the other side of the world. <laughs> and so, you know, I left that company after a successful exit. Um, and then I, I bought into a private equity deal. Most people don't, um, I don't, I talk about it actually a lot, but um, you know, most people, when they read my bio, they don't, you know, include this, but I bought a retail business, you know, in 2008, you know, after my first exit, because mm -hmm. I thought I could just turn it around. It was a retail, you know, food service business. And I'm like, I'm going to turn this around. It had 20 locations at one point, Grotech owned it. You know, I was like, I'm smarter than those guys. I can figure this out. And, um, you know, part of my, my, my strategy was to use debt. <laughs> to pay off some of the expenses mm. and then like, and then like recover the business and, you know, at, at, you know, closing the business and, um, to, I closed on the business in 2008, like maybe, um, summer 2008 and then fall 2008. So debt wasn't even available. Right. So I wow. spent that year, um, what I would describe Dahani as like a year in humility, right. Cause I was getting my MBA at the time I was at Babson and, you know, Babson number one school for entrepreneurship, you know, for 25 years plus, Great school, great environment, great teachers, all that stuff. And I just remember being in class and like raising my hand, talking about real life things that were happening to me in the moment. You know, I remember walking into my strategy class and Professor Fetters being like, oh, Luke, we just saw you on the cover of the BBJ, you know, <laughs> about your company going bust. And I'm like, yeah, here we go. Let's talk about it. 200 plus students, right? So when I think about like my level of comfort and talking about my failures with the same level of energy, right, that I talk about my successes, it comes from there because mm. you've got to be able to do that, right? And so I talk about my failures and I, you didn't ask me about my failures, right? You asked me about my successes, but again, right, we think putting it in the context of, of, of quantum physics, success, failure, right? You got to talk about all of it. Um, so after exiting that business, you know, I, I, I put it back into bankruptcy, I licked my wounds. Um, you know, I, I thought deliberately about what I wanted, again, slowing down, right? Mm. I, I, I slowed down. I slowed time down. I stayed home with my son, who was at the time four months old. And I said, I'm just going to stay home with him and take care of him every day. And I stayed home with him till he was about a year and a half old. Like, so almost one year, I stayed home with my son. I was still looking at deals, looking at opportunities, but I was looking at it with a different mindset. You know, I was looking at it from a mindset of how do I want to affect the world in a meaningful way? Mm, right. Okay. Based on a problem that I'd seen. 
And the biggest problem that I'd seen, you know, um, that I thought I had nexus to and, and some like insight into solving was around insurance. You know, it, it did, just didn't work well for consumers, right? Like, and it, it, and insurance generally is a, you know, two, three trillion dollar category in the U.S., right? So where the hell do you start, right? So when I initially built the business uh, in 2013, the idea was that we're going to do all this funky type of, you know, um, insurance, you know, related um, support mm-hmm. um, for things that insurance companies don't typically have a good, a good, a good model for, or things that they don't write insurance for, like crowdfunding, for example, right? And so I got into tech stars. I was lucky to get into that. And as I was preparing for that um, in February of 2014, right, February 7th, 2014, um, my daughter, you know, she was four years old at the time, was struck with stage four cancer, right? And um, I, oh, I had man. maybe four interns at the time, three or four interns at the time. Uh, I barely had an office, Dahani. I mean, we were like working out of oh, like goodness. this like um, little shoebox uh, in Baltimore. And, um, you know, I get a call, you know, um, from, my, from my wife and she's like, Hey, um, you know, we, we got something going on here. You got to get up here. And so I, I take a cab at the time. I, don't, I, don't, I think we only had one car. We didn't even have two cars at the time, right? So I take a cab to um, Greater Baltimore Medical Center, uh, met them there. And they were like, well, you know, your life is going to be different now, you know, because like something's going on. She's got this hard thing in her stomach, you know, wound up being a Wilms tumor. You know, we spent a year in chemotherapy radiation, watched men, several other children her age pass away. But, you know, oh I was lucky enough to see her survive and she got through it. Right. She got through it. And 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 it, it changed everything for me, Dahani, because it made all those conversations that were difficult, you know, with respect to investors who were rejecting me at the time. Right. I'm a, I'm a, I was a successful entrepreneur. I was already successful. I had a successful exit. Yeah. My last company before that bankrupted, but I, I knew the path, but like they weren't willing to bet on me. Right. Because in some ways, places like Baltimore and at, at times can be a little extractive. Right. And, and that, I mean that, you know, almost, they almost look at failure as like a moral collapse or a moral business failure as a moral failure. Right. And they're not the same. They're not the same at all. And so, um, you know, my, the collective group that I was up against in terms of my competitors, I had four competitors at the time, all in California, you know, I was building fix. It was an on-demand mobile device repair platform. We started in insurance broadly, but then when we saw that there was $18 billion of activity happening just within the enterprise mm. for their mobile devices, it's like, ah, that's where I need to focus. Right. And there was no one there. And so we built a great business around, you know, this idea that we could deliver, you know, sort of a a level of support to you for your IT organization within four hours anywhere around the world. All right. And we, and we accomplished that today. The company does over 2 million service contracts annually. It's integrated into 8,000 T-Mobile stores. Um, It produces, you know, more than half a billion dollars of revenue um, for, for the acquirer. So it was a, it was a successful outcome. But it didn't start there, right? And I and I had to like painstakingly go through the process of you know consistently you know digging in with the customers about what they thought was important. But when I did that, Dahani, we grew three hundred percent year over year right through the exit. I raised six and a half million dollars, hired roughly eighty people here in Baltimore. Fifty percent of that team was was black or Latinx. Um, and, and here's what I'm most proud about with that exit, right? After that exit happened in 2020, I was one of three black founders to, to reach that level of exit. Mm. Um, in 2021, all my my whole team went with with Assurant, 
the whole team, right? So no one was was fired or left the company or any of that stuff. Um, about a year after, I get it, I, I'm at my daughter's school, right? My daughter is now cancer free, all that. Big story, great story. Um, and I'm at her school, Roland Park Country School, which you know, 30 grand a year to go there, right? You know, all these private schools in the region, they're expensive. And this little kid walks up to me. She's a year younger than my daughter. And she's like, hey, Mr. Cooper, I know you. You know, and you, you, I think you work with my mom. I'm like, who's your mom? And her mom was Sharae Davis, right? Sharae Davis was uh, a woman I hired who was one of my best employees, ran mm. one of our largest accounts, came from a single black parent household, right? Was a single black parent herself from Baltimore, never knew her dad, right? And this is her daughter who's going to the same school as my, as my daughter, right? Like that, that is success. Success is not the three X I returned to my investors. Success is the fact that I was able to help, you know, someone else change their own lives, right? Cause I don't change lives. You change your own life, hopefully through inspiration that you get from, from me and people like me. Um, but yeah, we got to a great outcome. You know, it, 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 again, it was uncertain the whole way, you know, we were, you know, running out of cash in 2020, um, I'm sorry, 2019. And I, I took a chance Dahani. I took a chance. I said, I'm going to um, try to make make it happen. I need to get to an exit again, like 2019. No one knew COVID was going to happen. No idea, right? But we talk about timing and slowing things down. I thought deliberately about what it would take to have a conversation with somebody, and I, I, you know, or that would you know take us seriously about potential acquisition. And I said I need to have that conversation face to face. So where am I going to see the CEO of Assurion and Assurant and all the potential acquirers in my industry? Right. Consumer Electronics Showcase, right? CES in Vegas. We took a, I used the company's money to take a one-way flight on Southwest. I stayed at the Strat Hotel, cheapest hotel in Vegas. Um, it might've cost me, I don't know, 25 to $29 a night. Um, I went to all the events. I snuck into Assurance VIP reception. Over a thousand people were there. I got this great picture too with the CEO. <laughs> oh my um, gosh. I walk, this is crazy. This is a crazy story, Donnie. I walk up to him. I beeline because I don't know if like people are going to kick me out or what. Like I'm from Baltimore. I'm like, yo, we we in here. What's up? And so I streamlined to him, but I was ready to have the conversation. I didn't come to him with a ball of energy about how great we were, right? What I talked to him first was about their culture and our culture and how there was alignment, right? And like that immediately got his attention because the, the, the talk and the discussion of CEOs is culture. Right. It's, mm -hmm. this, it's their starting place. Right. Because culture eats strategy for breakfast. And every great CEO knows that he came from Bain. Right. He worked at Bain. And so that conversation led to, you know, 20 minutes more of talking about our markets and what we were doing, what we we're up to. And within 30 days of that, we were under a letter of intent to be acquired. Um, it just so happened. It was wait, like wait, five wait, or six wait, wait, days. Wait, yeah. wait, wait. You have to pause <laughs> because there's just so much good in those last minutes of, of what you just talked about. You, you basically flew yourself to a show of which you wanted to meet someone you didn't know. You found your way into a room, beelined yourself right to the CEO. You found yourself in front of the CEO talking to them. And in 30 days from that moment, you closed on a deal to get acquired. So... You want to talk about slowing down time? <laughs> I mean, that has to be the, the the greatest story of slowing down time. And and I mean, I mean, I didn't I didn't know the entire story. And thank you for sharing. But 
so many people just are afraid to even make a phone call, let That's alone right. jump on an airplane and go stay at a inexpensive hotel and sneak their way in, into an event. I mean, that could be a, a TV show in and of itself. I guess, you know, what gave you the confidence to walk up to the CEO and deliver your pitch in a way that you knew was going to be or had to be conclusive? It's the same confidence that I developed knowing that I had to go to the store as, a, as an 11 year old living, you know, um, on Logan street in Bridgeport, Connecticut, knowing that like there was a gang there that didn't like my cousin and that I might get jumped. Right. Cause I gotten jumped before. Right. And so, it, it, but I had to do it. Right. It's, it's, it's the same confidence I developed as a 12 year old, right. Mm-hmm. Knowing that like my father was moving drugs in the house, you know, you know, mistreating my mom, all those things. And I had to testify in the trial. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have that conversation with a judge sitting there before school, it's the same confidence I developed after the trial, having to go back to school the same day, right? Like a- after the trial, right? So like it's it's that level of confidence that, you know, was brewed in me. Uh, and again, like we're talking, putting this context and putting this conversation in the context of quantum physics, right? On the opposite side of that courage was fear, Dahani, like, 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 you know, paralytic fear, right? That, mm. which, that, that, that paralyzes most people, right? But for me, I, I knew looking around me that if I allowed that fear to paralyze me, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm never going to leave Bridgeport. You know, I'm never going to leave Baltimore. I'm going to be, you know, grounded here forever. Right. And so I, I knew I needed to make things happen and I needed to make things happen in a very organized way. Right. And so, yeah, you, you got to get past the fear, but you still got to do your homework. Right. You still got to know that that CEO worked at Bain Capital, that he, you know, was worried about these four issues, that he had done these three acquisitions prior to that. So I did my homework. Right. So that conversation would not be lost. And, you know, again, within 30 days, we were under a letter of intent for the company to be acquired. We closed, funny enough, on August 17th. So March ish, we, we got under letter of intent and we closed the transaction August 17th. Um, and it was not planned that way at all. We were supposed to close maybe a month earlier, mm-hmm. um, but we closed on my daughter's birthday, right? Wow. Olivia's birthday. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is phenomenal. Yeah. And the fact that you've had, you know, two incredible success stories and to see the success of even a challenge and a failure as a learning opportunity is what we have to have as entrepreneurs. And so you've been able to parlay that into, you know, being the managing director at Latimer Ventures. So, Correct. you know, I, I want to know a little bit more about that. And most importantly, your deal-making mindset, you know, who and why are the people that are part of your portfolio ones that you wanted to get involved with? And, you know, what stories do you hear from them that compel you like that CEO did for you to get involved like they got involved when you sold them the business? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. So, you know, again, like I think every great insight starts with a set of experiences that, you know, are grounded in some level of validation, right? And so like you you can you can go through a thing, but if you haven't validated whether or not that's a big enough problem that a lot of other people are facing, maybe mm-hmm. it's not a thing that you actually build a product or a service around. And what I knew after graduating from my last, you know, exit was that hmm, there are all these black founders out here that are disconnected from these networks. They don't know what corp dev functions in a 
you know, Fortune 500, you know, does. They have no idea how to navigate their way through M&A, how to, how to reach out and touch a CEO, CIO, CISO. They have none of those rails, right? Enterprise sales playbooks. Some of these things you can learn online, but the nuance of it, right, are mm. not things that are taught, right? And I, and again, like I, I, I went to Babson and, and Syracuse and like there was no discussion around, you know, service level agreements or SLAs, right? But like, if you don't understand what SLAs are in an MSA, when you're trying to do a build a contractual relationship with a Fortune 500, you're screwed, right? And that's not a thing you just like leave to your salespeople, right? And so, um, those are things that like I just picked up along the way. But one of the biggest observations I made to Hani was the level of value, the the, the ratio of value to uh, value capture. Okay. Right. So value created to value cap value captured. That's a specific ratio. Like we created half a billion dollars of new revenue. Right. The stock price for assurance traded at like roughly 90 bucks a share the day they acquired us. And the month I left, it was at 160. Right. We had done one other acquisition, fixed wow. that, you know, uh, uh, you know, help them retain their biggest customer. That's three billion dollars of new market cap that we delivered. Right. We didn't we we didn't make a fraction of that. Right. A small fraction of that is what we made. And so when I when I thought about that, I said, huh, there's a big mispricing that's happening mm -hmm. because you have all these black founders, diverse founders, quite frankly, who whose companies are undervalued. They're overperforming. Right. One in three of them is getting to Series A versus one in 15 of the in the general public. And, and we have you, I have unique access. They, they, they like my story. They feel in me, right. They feeling these words when they come out of my mouth, cause they know they come from a place of, you know, um, true lived experience and true mm. experience as it relates to like navigating, you know, every aspect of enterprise, you know, scale ups. Right. And so, um, and so like, you know, that, that really drives me and motivates me, you know, in the same ways that like, you know, Ben Harvey does too, right. Ben Harvey, you know, great entrepreneur that we're, in our pipeline today that we're, you know, making an investment in companies called AI squared. Well, Ben Harvey has this amazing company that is doing all these great things around data science. And, you know, Ben Harvey grew up in a, in a, in a three room house in Jacksonville, Florida with seven brothers and sisters, his mom and dad, the most money they'd ever made, Donnie was like 30 grand a year. And like that year that they made like 35, they went on like a little family vacation, like a day trip to the beach or something. Right. Like that, that's the reality that he grew up in, but he navigated his way to an internship at MIT to like three, um, uh, degrees from black colleges to then becoming the, um, the, one of the youngest heads, you know, of, of data science at the NSA. He was the chief data science officer at the NSA, um, where he first saw this problem happening. And like the most downloads anybody had ever achieved at the NSA was like 400 or so in a day. Mm. He got 10,000 in one day Wow! In one day. And so he quit and then built this great company. Right. I, I see genius in him, but I also see the other side of that, you know, which is like humble beginnings, you know, that, 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 that to no fault of his own that have shaped his reality and like how he goes about building teams. And he's building a very diverse team and he's building a, a formidable product that will change, you know, the landscape of, of, of AI um, for, for, for the corporates. And so I get incredible, you know, sort of inspiration you know, in my job, because like this job sucks in terms of like fundraising and all of the, you know, sort of no's and the slow no's that you get, you know, that wind up becoming no's, but they start out as like a maybe, you know, mm -hmm. um, but I get incredible inspiration from folks like him. Wow. Just back to back dynamic stories of, of those that have been through challenges in their life and then sort of rose to the occasion, found a, 
a spot where they could uh, underpromise and overdeliver and really kind of make a big change in the market. Um, I mean, there has to be so many stories out there that are just like that. And when you're thinking about Latimer, I mean, is that part of the secret sauce? Is is that is your story everybody else's story? And you see a, a version of yourself in the discussions that you have with people that you might choose to invest in? Unfortunately, yeah, right. Because you know, if if you're black in this country or a minority, you know, even even women entrepreneurs, um, you know, seeking venture venture capital dollars, like you're you're going to deal with the bias, right? Ninety. When you look at the eighty six trillion dollars of U.S. assets that gets invested every year, and I and I think I saw one of your guests. We we both know Blair Smith well. He's amazing. Um, I think he quoted this. He might have said eighty. Might, the number real number might be eighty seven trillion. I'm not sure. But you know, something like that, you know, almost ninety trillion dollars of U.S. assets, you know, ninety-eight point six percent of it is managed by exclusively, you know, straight white males, right? So, right, and and so um, our, my secret sauce is really my ability to connect those dots, right, for founders and for my LPs in ways that like yield results, right? Uh, Open Lattice was a company I invested in a year ago or a year and a half ago, you know, the founder came to me, black founder was like kind of f- trying to figure it out. Wasn't sure which direction. This is a brilliant founder, by the way, brilliant, mm-hmm. like PhD level worked at Palantir. Brilliant. He could do anything he wants. Right. But he was trying to solve this hard problem. Um, and, um, and, um, and, uh, 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 you know, basically, you know, how government moves, moves data around. It's a data governance business. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so he tried to solve this hard problem, solved solved it mostly, but you know, COVID was happening. And so we were able to basically turn a small investment to a 5.6x return when we sold the company to Fastly, right? We brought we brought multiple people to the table after we made the investment, um, and ultimately Fastly acquired him, right? And so, like in small ways, we're showing that it works, you know. But I think in large ways, we're still far away from like demonstrating to the fo- to the market that you know they're missing out on what I see as the biggest opportunity, um, you know, in tech since you know since since the dawn of the internet. So you have these amazing conversations with different CEOs. You see the future and you see the potential. You're able to optimize that potential on, you know, the returns and, and the acquisitions, if you will. I mean, I, how do you measure success outside of, you know, I, I mean, may I just ask, you know, how do you measure success? Because some some person might think about it's just the amount of capital that you make. I feel like with you, it's not just about capital when you see sort of your whiteboard and on the, on that board, you kind of circled something and you were like, that's right. We got it. We got it done. Yeah. That's a great question. Right. So like, you know, goal achievement, I think you've got to separate out, separate that out from like the, the measure of success. Right. Cause you're not always going to achieve your goals. And sometimes like the funny thing is like you, by not achieving your goal, it shows you something mm. right. Like, ah, achievement of that goal was never going to be a possibility because of this other thing that I didn't know. Right. Or I cheat. I, I'm not going to achieve that goal because the, my approach is the wrong approach. Right. Mm. Like all, all. And again, like slowing down will allow you to see those things. You know, so I, I be, I've begun to measure success on a, almost like on a daily basis, like a day to day kind of thing. It was I successful today. Right. And, and by success, it doesn't mean that I create a whole list of things. And like if I get through the list, I'm successful. No. You know, my, my, my uh, the thing I might start a day with is like today I'm going to try to apply non-judgment to everything, 
right? And if I and if I and if I get through my day and I have not like a, applied judgment to things, right? And I'm not talking about like you know discriminating, you know. Um, you know, decisions you've got to make about like which investment, right? You're, you're always judging those, right? But I'm talking about judging a person or judging an action or behavior by your girlfriend, your spouse, your daughter, your, you know, whoever that person is, right? Like those are things that I'm working on as a, as a, as a man, right? To be better, you know, in my own, in my own skin, you know what I mean? And so like, to me, that's the real marker of success because if I practice non-judgment, I can expand infinitely my potential, Right. Because like that, not that judgment is a rate limiter to my potential. And so if I, if I can be a lot more successful by moving some of those things out of the way. And so I measure success on the basis of those things, as opposed to like the, the, you know, sort of more universal things that people talk about. It doesn't mean that I'm any less like, you know, ambitious when it comes to generating top decile returns for my investors. Mm. I'm aggressively doing that as well. But like, think about it. I'm aggressively doing that because what I'm doing at the same time is making these diverse founders rich, right? And when they become rich, their communities are better, right? When their communities are better, wow. the more companies can be founded, right? It's just, it, it's, it's, it's a bigger picture. As they say, rising tides lift all boats. And you've done an amazing job um, lifting um, these founders and allow them to participate in amazing transactions. Is there some type of advice that you give them once they cross that threshold? I, I think we always talk about the advice we give, and maybe you have like a short um, sort of advice you give to someone as they're going through the process. But I also want to know, what advice do you give them after the process? Because that, in my opinion, is just as, if not more important. Yeah, that's a great question, Donnie. Um, and, and that's a great call out on your part too. We, we're always good at like giving people advice way before the thing. And then you get the thing or you do the thing and then it's like, all right, you're good. <laughs> right? Yeah. And now what's the thing? Now what's the thing, right? Exactly. And so, you know, as a founder that's, that's lived that journey, right? I, I try to tell people just to, you know, the, the, the key advice that I give them and there's all kinds of advice. Like, you know, there's practical wisdom that I tell them about, like, you know, thinking about like post post dissolution, you know, a post merger dissolution activities, mm -hmm. right? Like these are the things that you don't think about as a founder, but I'm telling you, dude, you spend all your goddamn time, you know, after you close, like, you know, winding down certain aspects of the product or market or thing, right. That, that, you know, the, 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 the company that acquired you is going to help you with, but you're mostly doing that yourself. Right. And so I, I give them rails for how to do that more effectively, but that to me is like practical wisdom that, you know, anybody could give them. Right. What I try to tell them is to, is to, to just be very present in their thinking, right. As they're going through the process, right. Being present. And then after completion of the process, being very present in their thinking about what they just went through, you know, what lessons they've learned. Um, how, how has this augmented your values? Right? Mm. Like a lot of times we don't think about that. We don't think about our values oftentimes until someone comes to us with a thing that's opposed to our values. But we don't, we don't always know that, you know, hey, our, my value actually shifted. You know, even if it just shifted five degrees, sometimes that's significant enough that now you think about that thing differently. Right. So I often tell founders to reshape their values. I mean, I, there was a time when I thought that, oh, the best way to start a company is like, you know, you got one leader and that person is the, the end all be all. They make all the decisions because ultimately it comes down to them. But that's not that's not the way it should go. Right. You need to be able to delegate. You know, everybody's got to feel like some shared 
level of responsibility, shared consciousness is super important um, as well. And these are all new sort of beliefs that I developed over the last, you know, sort of 10 years of working. And they only came because I took that time. After I sold the company on August 17th, I think on August 18th, I got COVID um, and I couldn't be anywhere near my kids. And so I, wow. you know, one of the only oh. things I, I, I splurged on was this, was this Tesla and I, I bought this car and I, I got in the car and I drove, I drove to the West coast in this car from Baltimore. And I spent that time just like, you know, just a, a, in conversation with myself. Every time I think that you're going to, you know, <laughs> the, the, your story is not going to, you know, like you, you always one up your next story. I'm like, okay, so you close with your business. The next day you splurge on a car, you drive across country. Okay. All right. So I hope you submit that story to Elon and you have a good relationship <laughs> with Tesla. They need to know that it is possible to drive from Baltimore, Maryland on the East coast, all the way to California. So, you know, shout out to Tesla. Shout out to Tesla. I, I just want to say, Luke, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, bringing your confidence, bringing your energy, and then also talking about some of the founders that you're lifting and the boats that are now out in the harbor, you know, facilitating the growth of other boats. So that we need they can more. Be we need as more. Well. We, we definitely need more. need more. And I'm sure your your time at, at in residence at Georgetown um, helped shape that continued education narrative. Um, and you've been able to to continually teach people. And I think that's one of the most in, important things uh, I think about it from the University of Michigan and, and my school. It's it's about teaching and continuing education. But it's also about the action. And that's to right. your point, uh, it's about the, the, the timing and the closure. And get out and go do another one. That's that entrepreneurial mindset. That's right. So as we, as we come to a close uh, on the Pathfinders, look, I, we always talk about um, uh, meals and deals. Uh, so if you if you listen to the Blair podcast, we always ask you know a little story about your favorite deal and you know your celebratory meal. Um, what, what what was it? I mean, I'm, yeah. you know what you know knowing you, it was like in the middle of America and you're driving <laughs> a Tesla and you just you know you you, you close the deal because you met a, a founder on <laughs> I don't know some highway at some like random, I don't know, uh, <laughs> diner, but w w favorite meals and deals. My favorite deal all time will still be, you know, still fixed, you know, a company I, I spawned from an idea, you know, literally dropping my phone on a bus that gave me the idea for how to affect this, you know, yeah, $18 billion sub insurance market. And like just getting through that exit, you know, from the, you know, the, the trip, I didn't even tell you the best part of that trip, you know, to, to <laughs> Vegas, but wait, there's more. I didn't even tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, one thing that I, I I was fortunate to have happened to me on that trip, right? Now, I told you, you know, at the beginning of my journey when I was 12, I, I flew on a plane. You know, my mom took us up on this tiny Cessna. It was after the trial. She wanted us to see, just to see the world, see something, right? Other than like on the ground, your projects every day. So she went next door to the Sikorsky airfield and she asked these pilots, hey, can you, we live in the projects. My son and daughter have never flown. Can you just take us up? And so they took us up on one random Saturday and I saw parts of New York and Connecticut and I saw my wow. projects and I was like, wow, that shit is little, right? Like that, where I am is not who I am. Those two things are disconnected for me, right? And so that was the only time I'd ever flown in a private plane mm. and I sat in the cockpit and they let me like, like just like play around, right? It was amazing. It was an amazing, like, I don't know, maybe an hour long, you know, trip altogether. Fast forward, right, to Assurant and I'm now at the, at, in Las Vegas Having this, I'm on, I'm on level 10, Dahani. I'm on level 10 after having had this conversation with the CEO and I'm walking out and a good buddy of mine, um, 
was like, how are you getting back to the East Coast? I'm like, and this is a guy who owned a 30, 40 million dollar company doing very well and had owned it for years. I'm like, I'm like, dude, I'm not getting in the car with you driving back from Vegas to Baltimore. Are you crazy? He's like, no, 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 no. Just meet me at my hotel. I, I, I flew my private jet here. And so I, I, I said, of course, <laughs> like I, I would have it no other way. <laughs> so I, I meet him at, at his hotel and we go over to the private airfield um, in Vegas. And when I get there, I'm with his team and I look up, there's a little poster up there and it says, you know, $20, $5 rides. It's like a little gimmicky poster, Sikorsky Airfield right? 1940 something or whatever, right? This is, this was what my mom saw back in Bridgeport, which made her ask the people in Sikorsky, Hey, can my son get up? You know, can we just take a plane up? Right. Cause they used to do this and they don't do it anymore. Right. And so I'm yelling to these people like, Oh my God, this is incredible. Look at this thing. And they're like, uh, so what? <laughs> right. But, um, you know, fixed by far is still my favorite deal. And my favorite meal, um, you know, honestly, like one of the best meals I had was with my team, um, I told them I would eat a burger if we got the deal done because I'm a vegan. Well, you know, I've been a vegan, you know, 10 plus years since, you know, Olivia got sick. And um, and uh, I wound up eating an impossible burger. It was one of the best impossible burgers I had. Um, I just did not eat a burger. Um, and um, it was, you know, one of the best meals I've had. Well, Luke, um, thank you for sharing. Thank you for for teaching us. Um, thank you to your mother for lifting you up above and recognizing, you know, like where you're from is not who you are. I mean, it's like in your mind where you decide to go. And teaching is about quantum theory, because I think that, <laughs> you know, one of the things that we're going to take away today on the Pathfinders is that it's important to slow down. Um, and you slow down uh, to speed up. And clearly, you've done a phenomenal job at doing that. So I just want to say um, thank you to you. Thank you. Thank you. A special thanks again to Luke Cooper for being with us today to discuss Latimer Ventures and what he's doing to help Black and Hispanic founders build and exit. If you're enjoying the Pathfinders, please make sure to leave a review so more people can find the show. Until next time, I'm Dahani Jones, and this has been the Pathfinders, presented by Ansarada. Ansarada.